Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the second episode of Cadence. On this episode, we have Kevin Donnelly. Kevin Donnelly is the Senior Vice President of Venues and Entertainment for True North Sports and Entertainment, and he is responsible for managing Bell MTS Place as a facility and its event calendar. He transitioned to building and event management in 2001 after years of being a successful promoter both independently and with House of Blues Concerts Canada. He has become an experienced resource in the entertainment industry, both in Winnipeg and across Canada. In April 2014, True North assumed operation of the 1600-seat Burton Cummings Theatre, so he also manages events there too. Today we will be talking about Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen and how it has impacted Kevin and his life. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy episode two of Cadence. Hello, welcome to Cadence Podcast. I'm here with Kevin Donnelly this morning. Thank you, Kevin, for joining me. Today. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, on Cadence, we basically um, will look at one, maybe two specific albums that have in some way influenced your life or your career or in some regard. So um, for that, uh, for this episode, um, the album you chose is Bruce Springsteen's Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, so I guess we'll just start with why is that the album that has impacted you most and in what way has it influenced you? Well, I, w- I would start by saying that, you know, everybody has their own desert island list. Like what are the 10 or 100 records that would be on it? And, and, and from the time this record came out, it sort of just clicked with, with me. And, and, uh, and so it's on my desert island list. And it's, you know, and if you narrow that list to 10, it would probably still find its spot there. So uh, I'm a lifelong Springsteen fan. I discovered him, you know, even before this record came out, I'd heard about Born to Run and, and, and you know, the um, you're too young to know this, but like, you know, he had he was called the future of rock and roll. He made the cover of Time and Newsweek at the, in the same week. And and that was unheard of if you weren't Elvis or maybe Barbara Streisand. There had no, been no pop person that had hit, you know, that, that kind of newsworthy recognition. Um, so Darkness came out, you know, it was it was uh I was a punk rocker at the time. I was in high school at the time. Uh, there was lots of hair and makeup and hairspray and really affected, you know, music that was being made. And it was really bombastic and bloated music. You know, Led Zeppelin were making triple albums. And and this, this album came out that was a guy in a wife beater, white T-shirt, and he had greasy hair. And and he, he sang about... Being an adult, not about being a kid, he sang. He sang about working, and I'd never really heard, like, sort of a grown-up's perspective from rock and roll. It had always been youthful, youthful angst, youthful, you know, anger, youthful passion, and I'd never heard a guy sing about a factory. And you go like, what, 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 what's going on here, you know? And and so, for me. Um, and again, I didn't come from a blue collar. I didn't come from Pennsylvania or Scranton, PA or whatever. And I was from Regina, Saskatchewan and going to a middle class high school. Uh, but somehow, you know, the, uh, that was my guy. That was the record. And, and, and so, you know, I got into it and, you know, I, I became, again, I still am a fan and seen him a bunch of times. But, you know, the subsequent records, uh, The River and, and you know, everything else he's done, um, you know, they all have their place, and Bruce Springsteen fans, and there's legions of them, but 
for many of us, it goes back to darkness. It goes back to you know what, what the, the the mood, the statement, the passion, the the intellect that is present on that record that I think is still identifiable and notable today. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that was a big moment for Bruce as well because it seemed like Born to Run, as good of an album as it is. I think it did have that kind of youthful, like, like, even if you just go to the title song, Born to Run, it's all about, you know, no responsibilities, really, and you're just young and, like, free. And I think Darkness, like, is a noticeable transition, like, lyrically, obviously, with songs like Factory and, and that kind of stuff. But also, musically, like, it's just so much more grimy. Yeah. yeah so I yeah. totally... So so that's kind of why um, that one hits, hits home for you more than other ones, right? Because right. that was, like, the first time you kind of... Yeah. Yeah. So are there um, like tracks, like specific tracks that you just like always go back to or, or songs that you remember like vividly, like obviously maybe something like Factory, but songs that just well, really well, hit with you. Well, you know, the, the lyric, you know, again, discovering this as a young guy and, and, and you know, you, you all hit a point in your life where, where's, what am I going to do? What, what, what am I going to, where am I going to work? Who am I going to be attached to and whatnot? And, and so there's a line in the, you know, Poor men want to be rich. Rich men want to be king. A king's not satisfied till he rules everything. I want to go out tonight. I want to find out what I got. So, you know, I, I do that without scripting. I mean, I've, that, that's a lyric that I've known since I was 17 years old. Um, and and again, you take you know you, every now and then you come upon a, a lyric that you go like oh, like that's just not a rhyme, that actually says something and it says something to me and so, you know, I, I am an ambitious guy, personally I you know I, I've I've always strived to do better and to succeed and and um, and I don't try to rest on my laurels I still in in my estimation work hard today and I'm trying to do something unique and fun and challenging tomorrow and and I'm still measured by that I have a boss that gives me shit and 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 so I you know I'm always looking at how I can move the needle of progression and if you think like poor man wants to be rich rich man wants to be king king's not satisfied till he rules everything like you know you you start to identify going like okay what am I going to be a dishwasher am I going to be the chef am I going to be the chef am I going to be the restaurant manager or am I going to be the restaurant owner or or what am I? Am I going to own the building that the restaurant's in? So you look at your own life and in what these progressions are, and you hear a pop song or a rock song that that nails that. And it also says, "I don't have the answers. I want to go out tonight. I want to find out what I got." Like I, you know, he, at this point in that character's song, in that character's uh, life, um, he doesn't know what what what's going to become. He doesn't know where he's going to go. And like, man, oh man, I don't know where I'm going to go yet still, right? So very, uh, I found a way for me to attach my own sense of maturity and growing up and whatnot in this record. And uh, and you know what? You, you look around and here's Donald Trump and you go, King's not satisfied till he rules everything. Like, I mean, you know, every now and then, and there's great songs that, you know, examples, you know, R.E.M., Everybody hurts. You, you, you find songs in your life that you go like, like that's genius. That's a lightning in a bottle. That's that's a, a sentiment and a phrase that will surpass time. And to me, a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. I mean, like, boy, it's still painfully resonating today. So right? true. Yeah. yeah. And that first song is such a 
such a great way to kick off the record too. Badlands is just such a yeah. like from that first drum until it all kicks in. Boom! Yeah, yeah, and, the, and the musicianship, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and yeah, and then like and even that song, like it's it's. It is a lot about, you know, finding yourself, but it is still kind of like, you know, it's very carefree. Like, I'm going to go out tonight. It's awesome. And then, like, immediately, I think, like, Adam raised a cane, like, going into the second track is where it's like, whoa, like, yeah. then he gets into his father. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm, I come from an Irish family. I have six brothers or seven boys in my family. And we had a cane in our family. I'm not going to identify which one of the bad brothers was him, but, uh, uh, you know, so... Again, you find these connections, and for whatever reason, they're imaginary, but they you find a connection. Hey, what Bruce Springsteen talked about, I feel like that connects into my family. And again, you know, it's there's leaps of faith and everything, but uh, uh, it's fun, mm-hmm. uh, and it sets your mind off in a kind of you know uh, creative vein. And and a, and a, again, I'm trying to think of different in an imaginary, but it's. You know, surreal, and uh, but but it connects to walking to work. It connects to rain on the streets. It connects to things that 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 are you know you experience, and so all of a sudden you imagine and find a connection to this character in the song that you know brings it closer to home. Yeah, and I always thought Bruce did. I think like Bruce and Dylan really for me is like they're so good at being so poetic and having such interesting lyrics, but also making such relatable characters that yeah. you can just like automatically resonate with. Um, and yeah, and I think the whole, you know, going back to Adam Razor Kane and a song like Factory, I think the, you know, the relationship with his father is really interesting in this record. And Factory was really cool because I didn't, it just seems like, you know, yeah, all about the work in life, like a classic Bruce song. When you actually look into the lyrics, it's like, whoa, like it's just so real. And like he's, you know, seeing his father. And I think the last the last song in that, or the last uh, lyric in that track goes something like, um, you know, someone's going to get hurt tonight. It's the working life. So I don't know if he was insinuating, like, his dad's going to come home and, like, if he's going to be you know, mentally, emotionally, physically right, I abusive. Think he, or... he talked about, uh, in his book, he talked about, you know, this, his father's hearing loss that he sustained while working in factories and stuff yeah. like that. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the other part is, you know, the transference of some of these, you know, your dad could, could not work in a factory, but you'd find a connection to that song in your own relationship with your father or what you imagined your father's experiences might have been. And, and I remember at one point, you know, a while ago, listening to Racing in the Street. So it's a song about, you know, romanticizing, you know, that, that this is the passion that, that the character has, that, um, uh, uh, that it's, it's how they blow off their steam. It's how they, it's how they find sort of a grounding in their daily grind. And, you know, you could take, you know, and for me, like I didn't know anybody that raced in the streets. I didn't know anybody who's a real, you know, grease monkey kind of character. It wasn't my neighborhood or my my interests that led me into those groups. But you could replace the racing with hockey. You could replace the racing with playing in a band, and and then it becomes instantly relatable on a different level. You go, oh, okay, it's, you know, I I get it. You know, I get that. You know, these these characters are these people that he's trying to you know, present for us, you know, it's a universal feeling. We all have pressures. We all have, you know, struggles in life. And we all look for that sort of solitude to to go and be yourself. Like, what is it you really like? What is it that you find peace in? You know, 
I've, I've run marathons. I don't hit that, that, that spot till I'm at mile 16 of a training run. But when I hit mile 16, man, I really feel good about things, right? So, you know, you, you find what it is for yourself and racing in the streets and some of the work that Bruce has done brings those concepts to, to the fore and brings that connection to your own life. And again, you just kind of feel better about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and racing the streets is such a, like, growing up, like, my dad's a huge Bruce fan as well, so growing up, I'd listen to Bruce, but I wouldn't really, like, listen to Bruce, right? Right, yeah. Um, And that's a song, that's just one of those storytelling, like, masterpieces in my mind that he has written. And I was actually, it was funny, I was listening to E Street, because on the Sirius satellite radio, they have the E Street channel, Mm -hmm. and they always have guest DJs on, so they actually had Stephen King and his son, um... And they were, you know, they were playing songs. And Stephen King had this whole kind of monologue about racing in the streets and how it's like a story with, like, such vivid characters. It's you know? a movie. And, yeah, it's and Stephen a movie King, in coming six from minutes. Stephen King, who's yeah. like one of the most prolific authors of all time. You know, he's like, it has that beginning, middle, and and it does. And if you actually just like, yeah, like sit down and look at the li- and like, yeah, it's just, yeah, you know. And we were talking in, in the office the other day, and again, another analogy. Um, talking about the movie Deer Hunter, which ironically came out around the same time as this. Uh, and if you watch The Deer Hunter, and we had a fellow in our office that had never seen The Deer Hunter, but they don't make movies like The Deer Hunter anymore. They don't make movies like The Godfather anymore because they, they don't, for whatever reason, the audience either won't invest the time or the studio won't allow the story to be... you got to be seven, seven um, films deep into Harry Potter before you get into the same sort of character depth. And so with, with The Deer Hunter, there's like 20 minutes of hunting deer that you know now would be encapsulated in like a 30-second montage with a journey song behind it or something, yeah. or, or, or the wedding scene that goes on forever that just sort of details the friendships that these guys have. And Racing in the Streets is like six or seven minutes long. People don't write songs like that. They don't take the time mm-hmm. to, to set the melody, to set the mood, to allow the bass line to groove, to allow the character to kind of, to allow the, the listener to slow their heart rate down and get into the mood of this song. And so, again, it's, it's a throwback, but it's a rarity. You know, like, songs like that don't come along. Not that, they're not that common. And, and so mm-hmm. I like its uncommonness. I like the fact that it allows me to get into the mood. It's like watching a good a good movie that you don't see much anymore. Yeah, that's so true. And I, like, I wouldn't call, you know, Darkness on the Edge of Town like a... You know, like a prototypical concept album, like something like The Wall or something where it's like there's a clear, like, you know, front to back connection. But I think that these characters kind of, it does kind of connect. And I think Dark, like the last song on the album, the title track, Darkness on the Edge of Town, is actually kind of like a, almost like a part two to Racing in the Streets because it talks mm-hmm. about the girl mm-hmm. who, you know, who had, was, you know, tired of this, you know, character racing, all that kind of stuff. And now she's off doing other things. So just the connection. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to me. Yeah, um, again, like, I think that, again, here's a guy, and, and like, some of his stuff, uh, you know, doesn't work for me, and some yeah, of his stuff, you know, you, you, you get a little tired of the sameness of what Bruce has done over 30 records or whatever yeah. it is. Um, but this one, for me, doesn't grow tired, and it doesn't grow old, and, and again, he's done such a masterful job of connecting the songs that are unconnected. And it's not a concept album, but the that there's a theme that runs through it. There's a consistency that doesn't get monotonous. It doesn't sound like a Boston record where literally every song is the same song just yeah. replayed. Yeah. Um, and again, there's a there's a real craftsmanship. There's a real 
accomplishment to being able to do that, to to have a sameness without it becoming monotonous. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped. It's just such a tight album. Like it's only like 10 tracks or something like mm-hmm. that. It's just very, very tight. There's no filler. And I know The River like is the double album, but and I think he, he had talked about how The River was, he wanted to um, present it as like, this would be like a live kind of, this is what it's like seeing the E Street Band right. live. But there's definitely songs in there that could just, you know, you there can take th- out. So that's why something like, I, I really like Nebraska as well, because it's just, it's so tight and it feels like he whittled down the songs to like this is like the best so mm-hmm. yeah because mm-hmm. you know like again if you've seen documentaries or you've followed him along you know he's got that notebook or those notebooks yeah. full of 90 songs <laughs> and like again some of them aren't that great right yeah. but some of them are great and again like you said you know nebraska brilliance you know uh johnny 99 and some of these you know like atlantic city just fantastic yeah. tunes um and darkness is full of them and, and and again like you know the brevity of it you know, another song, Candy's Room. So I had a brother played in a rock band, and they, you know, when I was growing up, my seminal years of following the band and being a, a fanboy of my brother's band, they played Candy's Room. There's a sadness in that pretty face, a sadness all her own, from which no man can keep Candy safe. We can't. And to this day, I can I can both I, I love the original, but in my mind, I can always throw back to when I used to go see the brother play this tune live. And so when I'm playing it, you know, in the car or whatever, uh, that's a tune that's under three minutes long that I can always play it twice. Like I'll, I will play it back to back because it's so good. It's it's so short. It leaves you wanting more. And I always just go back for more. You know, and and the lyric there. Um, um, Baby, if you want to be wild, you got a lot to learn. So again, it's yeah. it's about busting out a bit, but recognizing that I don't have all the answers. This character doesn't have all the answers. The girl in the thing that the character's with doesn't have all the answers. Uh, but you got to go out. You got to go out. You got to find out what it's about, mm-hmm. right? You got to find out what you've got. Right? Yeah, and he makes that like all okay. Like he's yeah, like, it's, it's okay it's, that you don't know because you're not supposed to know. Nobody really knows. You know what? I've got a philosophy in life. You know I. My buddies who I travel with and cycle with and run with, you know, our MO is what could possibly go wrong? And that's the theme of this song. Like, you mm-hmm. you got to go out. You, what could possibly go wrong? Let, let's let's go live. Let's go adventure. Let's go have fun. Mm-hmm. Let's push the envelope. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? You know, you got to find out what you got. Yeah. And I think kind of going back to the, you know, cohesiveness and tightness of the album, and you just don't really get that as much anymore, you know, with the streaming era, you, know, you have artists like Drake or whatever who will put out like 25 song albums that are like an hour and a half and it's just because they know they're going to get they'll put all their singles on it right that already had all this money so I just think that the whole like the album of like I mean I, I want to I don't want to say it's totally lost because there are people who still you know care about it for sure but yeah I just think that's something I really admire about this yeah, record. Yeah you know there, there's an OCD component again as I've watch docs and seeing what he does over the years and whatnot like you definitely know that there's an obsessive kind of mm-hmm. thing and, and 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 so with that you know and only with that do you get records like the wall that you reference mm-hmm. you get records like sergeant pepper or whatever and, and or or born to run or or darkness where we know these guys like a year later they're still working on a the snare drum sound you know that kind of stuff and, so, and sometimes those records don't work. They just become overproduced and over-contemplated. But, you know, this is an example of one, in, in my estimation, that 
that did work. They, they, they put the right amount of OCD into it, but the right amount of like just gasoline on it and just let some songs go. And, you know, helps to have a great band, right? Like a oh, band yeah. that not allowed to prove itself, you know, not having competing guitars or, or, or whatever, that like they're content to let the bass player, who's content to stand in the back, just drive that, you know, that, you know, that, that rhythm and just move it along, right? And, and uh, so, you know, and that comes from maturity, that comes from, you know, a bunch of different things, but um, even though that, that album is tight and compact, it's not in a hurry. Yeah, right? definitely. So would you say, you know, it's tough when you talk about, like, favorite compared to, like, influential. Like, do you think that there's a difference between, like, obviously this is one of your favorite records. Sure. And it's one of the ones that impacted you most. Is there kind of a difference between, like, something being your favorite and something just impacting you heavy? Yeah, I mean, like, you know... Uh, or are uh, they kind of one and the same? Obviously, like, I'm, I'm assuming, like, normally with a record, like, if it, if you if it impacts you, it's obviously going to be one of your favorites as well. Sure. Would you have, like, an all-time, like, favorite record? Like, would this one be there? Or is it... It's, it's, it's tough. It, it, well, again, it's hard to pick one. But, I mean, this would be up there. This would be yeah. one that, 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 again... I've, in addition to enjoying musically, in addition to enjoying, well, you're just looking for fun, well, you're, you're four beers into it and you're a young guy and you, you're at a house party or something and the record comes on. Um, you know, the, this one, you can you can rip apart cerebrally and you can rip mm-hmm. apart in terms of a character and a movie and a cinemascope and that kind of that kind of thing. But there are other records that that like hit me at the right time sort of helped me define what I was comfortable being as, a, as an adult, as a maturing young guy, that I haven't spent five minutes trying to rip apart what the lyrical content might mean. You know, what Elvis Costello's My Aim is True, mm-hmm. or, or The Talking Heads' More Songs About Buildings and Food. Um, like, it's more songs about building and food. Like, you don't have to go any deeper than that. It's about mm-hmm. an elevator ride. You know, what, can, what could happen, you know? So... Uh, you know, again, everybody has their their points in life that, that sort of set them on their path. And so mine came from the same era, and I think it would be pretty consistent with, with most people. You have that defining period of your life between the ages of X and Y, and, and these records sort of happened to me. 78 to 82, I was becoming a man. I was becoming a grown-upper, finding, deciding what I liked and didn't like about life, right? So that that's why those records, you know, your your listenership are gonna have to go back and figure out what that Talking Heads record was about because they may not have ever heard it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know the era, my era, and and uh, the music that was being created. And there was lots of crap, you know. And, and 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 as splintered as it was as it is today with the different genres of music, it was really splintered then. But back then, like. The rock guys hated the disco guys, and the rock guys hated the the new wavers and the punkers, and and it was all reciprocal, like you didn't cross borders. Today, like you kids can be fans of Florida Georgia Line, and Drake, and Pearl Jam, mm-hmm. right? But that didn't happen in '78. You know, yeah. it was really sort of there were there were there were teams that you were on, and there were lines that you didn't trade teams, and you didn't you know you didn't cross lines sort yeah. of thing. So yeah, yeah. And you were mentioning that you had, like, you've obviously seen Bruce live as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my again, my dad's like a mega fan, so I think he's seen him probably eight or nine times. Yeah. Um, so I've seen him a couple times, and like, and even I think the first time I saw him was about 2010. So I certainly wasn't like 
a huge, you know, Springsteen fan or whatever. Mm-hmm. I went because my dad wanted to go. We were in Phoenix and we saw him and I was excited for the show and it blew me away. <laughs> like he is. Yeah. And then we saw him a couple of years ago for, he did the river. Um, it was the, I forget what anniversary, but it was an anniversary of the river album. So we did it in track order. So we saw yeah. him in uh, Minneapolis and it's just incredible how he still plays for three and a half hours and just the, yeah, it's it's just the the best live show I've seen easily as like a performer's sake. And I think that's something that helps him keep the music alive because people could see him live and be like, wow, I want to go back and listen. Because I think a lot of current artists, um, you know, who are like, you know, classic rock guys who are still making music today just aren't as relevant in a sense just because there's nothing really keeping their old stuff afloat. But I think Bruce, with his performances, it's like it's impossible to not... Yeah, Just be amazed. Yeah, you know, I, I I agree, and I was at the same show in Minneapolis okay. for the River Tour, um, and the you know the first time I saw him was uh, about '84 mm-hmm. on the Born Born in the USA Born in the USA, yeah. the USA tour, um, and that was sort of like a you know it was, I recall it being just a, you know a long, but a just a frenetic energetic mm-hmm. rock show, right? And and although I, I I can you know I have snippets of recollections of of some of some of his dialogue that that happened, you know, great introduction to like um, uh, glory days and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I'd seen him a number of times later that you go, well, he, he's got this sort of um, old timey preacher kind of rally the crowd, and 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 he has this sort of character that he, that he plays, and and it's about getting the crowd pumped up, and it's about getting the band pumped up and moving, and and then when you go back and you see. Uh, videos like for the, there, you know, you can see it online. The first time he played London in the Hammersmith uh, Theater, and he'd be a young guy, born in the or born to run, had just was just coming out, I think. Um, and it's the same shtick. He's doing the same thing. So somehow, as a young guy, he developed this like, I'm gonna get him pumped up. I've got, I, I've got to work the room. I got to work the crowd. It's not just go out and play seven songs or play 27 songs. It's I got to tell a story between the songs. I got to set a mood and I got to deliver pace and it's going to be kind of biblical and it's going to be kind of emotional and they're going to try to move the needle. And I was really surprised to learn that that component of his live show was, was, has been there since the start. Like I didn't really understand that he was this sort of like, you know, a uh, snake oil salesman mm-hmm. type delivery um, right from the get go. And it, it makes it more sincere. It makes it more sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, honest. You know that this yeah. is the character he, 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 he feels comfortable doing. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, David Bowie goes through his, you know, his blonde phase. Bruce didn't have a blonde phase. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, he was always kind of just the yeah. same guy. Yeah, and I think that helped people to connect and relate yeah. to him, for sure. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, he's, I'm sure he's not exactly an easy guy to book, <laughs> because you know, there's <laughs> he's never been here, and I, I know there's that. Uh, I don't know if that was a group or something with the Bruce, bring Bruce to Winnipeg, but I don't think they understand how it's probably not very easy to just like bring Bruce to Winnipeg yeah, like you know, that. No, it, it, <laughs> it, it isn't, or I would have, right? Yeah. But uh, it, it's a frustrating part of the of the business is that, you know, it's not like you're buying iPods off the shelf, right? Uh, you know, he only has, there's only so many iPods and he's got to decide where he's going to, what stores are going to get an iPod. And, and so... He, you know, oh, there's only 10. Well, I guess we can't send any to Philadelphia. We're only going to send them to Cleveland. And, geez, they've been screaming for 
iPods in Winnipeg, but we can't. We don't have enough to send to Winnipeg. So, you know, I'll make up some numbers. You know, you you can you can offer them a million dollars, and you can understand and and you know even engage in dialogue where they go, hey, you're gonna have to pay a million dollars, and you go, okay, here's my million dollars. Well, that's not enough. They go, not your million dollars, mm -hmm. or geez, it's gonna cost us too much to come to your part of the world to get your million dollars. So. Thanks for the million, but we're gonna have to decline the million. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, not just Bruce, that happens all the time. We're geographically, there's no market that is as far from New York and Los Angeles as Winnipeg. You check the math, like, mm -hmm. and when every decision get made, gets made in New York or LA, it, we are the toughest place for those guys to wrap their head around because you can be closer to LA and oh yeah we could get there You're closer to New York oh yeah but neither of those people are saying that yeah we can get to Winnipeg it's like nah I can't get to Winnipeg right yeah. it's it's tough yeah yeah and that's the thing like obviously like there's logistics right of trying to schedule this tour where you go here one night here one night here one night so yeah it's not exactly easy to just bump up come back down for yeah. You know, for him, is it worth it? Yeah. And, and, and it's the same with every act as they age. I mean, you know, again, I'll, I'll make up some numbers, but like, let's say an act does 50 shows last tour and they go, well, now we're four years older. We don't want to do 50. We just want to do 40. And so the people that make the decisions will get together again with that artist or whoever and they'll go, okay, the first way that when they start, it's we did 50. We're only going to do 40. What were the best 40 of that 50? They start with the list they know. And and then they go, well, let's sh safe bets, sure, sure picks. Let's just pick the best 40 of last year's 50. So it's hard to get it. And every year that circle gets smaller, 40 becomes 30, 30 becomes 15. It's hard to bust in. It's hard to go, hey, I know you want to do a 15, but come to one you don't know anything about. Yeah. That, let's just place one that you've had. 25 years of successful plays in that you know the audience loves you you know the hotel there you know where to eat there your wife shops there go to a place where you don't know the answer to any of those things so it really you know it's tough and it gets tougher it yeah. doesn't get easier yeah and I, th and I think Bruce is also a guy who's not saturating the market or he's always like on tour like I think he kind of right. does a big thing and yeah. then he goes away and then he you know will write yeah. a book or do a yeah. documentary or do something yeah and then you'll come back and do another one. So, yeah, so I'm sure it's not exactly easy. Well, thank you, Kevin, so much for joining me this morning. Uh, that was my pleasure. That was uh, that was fun. I hope I didn't bore your audience. No, and, uh, not at all. And uh, you know what? Uh, if you're not familiar with the record, do yourself a favor. Give it a couple listens, not just one, but give it a couple listens. Yeah, and, and, sit with uh, the lyrics. And you know what? The other piece of advice I would give to your audience is you got to go out tonight. you got to find out what you got. you know, you got to get out there and live a little. Exactly. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode today. I want to give a big thank you to Kevin Donnelly for being on the show today. Be sure to follow Cadence on Facebook and Instagram at Cadence Podcast for posts about upcoming guests and albums. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.